Hi, everybody. This is Tony Khan, the producer and director of Morning Stories from WGBH in Boston. Our regular listeners may be familiar by now with the name Mark Grashow. This man goes everywhere. Fiji, India, most recently Zimbabwe. He finds stories in the most unlikely places. Today, he's going to take us back, some of us, way back to the dark and dangerous headwaters of the American high school. Mark taught high school for 30 years, just retired, and along the way he got to know some amazing kids as they struggled to survive their own teenage years. So I asked him to come in with some stories about some of the kids that he met in those classrooms and hallways of the last 30 years, and I put them together into a single walk down the hallways of an average high school. We call his morning story, Making It Out Alive. Iggy Paris loves to skateboard. He can do 360s, one-foot ollies, and backslide lip glides. But something strange started to happen when he fell. He got lots of black and blue marks that did not go away. He showed them to his mom, who got concerned and took him to a doctor. They told him that he had something called leukemia. Iggy had treatment for three months. At first, he just felt weak and nauseous, and then all his hair fell out. But slowly, Iggy got better, and his strength returned. He was nervous about going back to school without hair. He thought the kids would laugh at him. So his mom got him a wool cap that Iggy would pull down over his ears. On his first day back at school, the principal walked him back to his class. Iggy took one last big breath before pushing the classroom door open. He could hardly believe what he saw. Every boy in the class and two of the girls had shaved off all their hair, even Mr. Peterson. Iggy smiled the biggest smile of his life, and then with a big bow and a sweep of his arm, he took off his cap. Jason Swan looks pretty ordinary. His nose is of average size, he wears baggy jeans, and his cap always sits backwards on his head. His family just moved from California and rented the big Noonan house up on the hill. At the end of his second day, Jason headed for the pool. He asked the coach if he could try out. The team captain showed him where to change. Jason took off his shirt, folded his pants carefully on the bench, and then took off his leg. The coach pretended not to notice. The rest of the team did nothing but notice. By the time Jason made his way to the starting blocks, there wasn't a swimmer left in the pool. Jason steadied himself on the block, the whistle blew, and he was off. Jason was fast, very fast. Jason and the team worked hard together, and the friendships came easily. He helped other kids with their strokes, and they helped him develop a unique racing dive. By February, a strange thing happened. The team forgot about his leg. The other teams took a little longer. 
Cece Bimbellini is fat and ugly, and she's my best friend. She knows the best games, the scariest stories, how to whistle, how to keep secrets, how to do real magic, and how to give a hug. I used to be afraid that people would hurt her feelings and make fun of her size. But then one day we were walking down the street and a stranger approached. He asked Cece how she got like that. Cece looked at herself up and down and then at him. Just lucky, I guess, she replied. I love Cece Bimbellini. Melvin Moop knows he's doing something wrong, but he doesn't know what it is. Kids keep bumping into him in the halls and knocking his books to the ground. In classrooms, they think it's fun to bounce chalk, gum, and wads of paper off the back of his head. And in the bathroom, he finds his name scribbled on the walls with nasty comments written underneath. He doesn't understand it, and he can't make it stop. He thinks it might be because his body is soft, or the pimples he has on his face. Or maybe it's because he has trouble running or catching a ball. But whatever it is, Melvin can't seem to make a friend. There seems to be a language of friendship he doesn't speak, rules he doesn't understand. His parents signed him up for a karate class to toughen him up, but after the third lesson they let him quit, after they found him crying in the locker room. So for the thousandth time, Melvin walks home alone. Maybe tomorrow will be different and he'll make a friend. Well, maybe tomorrow he'll start to think about how to get even. Today's morning story from Mark Rashow, Making It Out Alive. Gary Mott. I hearken back to my high school days. Hmm. And I was cool by the transitive property. Cool by association. Oh, absolutely. Cool by connections. Oh, yes. Oh, that's very important. And I was in a band with some very studly, cool guys. So, you know, it it didn't really matter that I was skinny and bumbling. (laughs) I was in a band. Yeah. And I was best friends with Mark Berenblatt. Yeah. The president of the class. Do you realize you just got two inches taller just by saying his name (laughs) all these years later? So you were you were well connected. You were well connected. You were not a CC Bimbellini. Deep down inside I was. I was sitting around the dinner table with my three children and we were having a discussion about self esteem issues. Mm -hmm. And I said, Let me tell you a story about CC Bimbellini. She was fat, ugly. But she knows the best stories and the best games. Yeah. And I made my way to the punchline, just lucky, I guess. And my six-year-old son looked at me and said, that's not very interesting. (laughs) Now, he had a choice. He was at Crossroads. He could have said, Dad, this is a moment I'll never forget. You have given me the gift of story, and I will treasure it forever. Or he could have said, huh? And he chose what I think is the noble path. As a son to a father at that age, he had to say, what are you trying to do? Tell me how to live my life, right? So I'd like to turn this this horrible defeat into a victory (laughs) and say that the story worked because he had to reject it at that point. 
CC yeah. Bimbolini. Who who's that? Give him another thirty years. Yeah, another thirty at yeah. least. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it is amazing though that even the best storytellers have a hard time appreciating their own stuff or being appreciated within their own families. What else came in over the transom today? Morning stories from Boston. Oh, I know. I got an email from a guy who had interviewed me for Swedish National Public Radio. They have their own NPR. And uh, he had talked to me and a number of other people about podcasting. And so he sent me a link to the audio, and I downloaded it. And guess what? It's in Swedish. I'm, I'm, however, speaking English pretty well. I would like this to continue for at least another six months. And it was just amazing to realize in a whole other way how international podcasting is. Morning stories from Boston Station and WGBH. Taksumike Klaus Rasmussen, and if I mispronounced his name, we'll provide a link for it as well for those And if you. that's not his last name, you know, double <laughs> apologies. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much to, to Klaus. And who else do we have to thank? Well, only the most important people in our lives as a podcast these days. Ipswich, a leader in file transfer software. Indeed. Just check out their website at www.ipswitch.com, I-P-S-W-I-T-C-H. And just like all the other podcasters, we have a website, too, wgbh.org slash morningstories, and send that email, morningstories at wgbh.org. You'll hear from us again uh, next Friday with our next podcast. Take care. Trots det hoppas Tony Khan att poddradion ska få förbli experimentell och befriad från pengar, åtminstone en tid till. När poddradion kommersialiseras finns en risk att programmen blir mer strömlinjeformade.